And right now we will be talking about where things are at with the formation of government with Gareth Hughes and Liam Hare. Today's political commentators, kia ora korua. Kia ora morena. There you are. We can hear you. Thank you, Liam. Good to have you with us. Gareth is a former Green MP, now works for the Wellbeing Economy Alliance Aotearoa. He's no longer a member of any political party. Liam is a Palmerston North lawyer, political commentator and a member of the National Party. Right. First take then on the final results and after the numbers, after special votes. Uh, Obviously, the standout is National losing two seats, the Greens picking up. One. One to Party Māori picking up two electorate seats. Our overhang at the moment is sitting at 122 set to go to 123. Could still change, but let's start with those standouts first of all. Gareth, any surprises for you? Well, I, th- I think you've described it. For me, those Māori seat uh, victories were, were standouts. You know, the Māori Party to Party Māori has six out of the seven seats now. You know, in uh, Titai Takoro, they turned around a 500-seat into a 500-seat majority, so a swing of a 1,000 votes, which you know isn't unknown, but is, is very rare. So, look, they'll be ecstatic. That's forced a, uh, an overhang in Parliament, so those seats at the far back corner where you feel more like a, a viewer than a participant will be utilised in this Parliament. Uh, and obviously, National has gone from thinking about contracting some insurance, which we talked about last week, and paying a bit of a premium, to actually now having to make Winston Peters a partner in the firm. Liam. Yeah, it was always anticipated from National. So from election night onwards, I think the National Party is working on the basis of losing two seats. Um, you know, they'll be disappointed that their expectation came true, of course. But, um, you know, there's just it, it, it was a completely expected result in line with history when National either drops one or, or two seats. Um, and that is the reason why Christopher Luxon has been so cautious um, since the election, um, not to ruffle feathers um, in terms of Winston Peters' ego, and look, in hindsight, that was a very wise decision because the inevitable has come to pass. Uh, still a lot to shake out. Will this election ever end? We're bound to have some recounts. Looking at some of the uh, close ones, I think Phil Twyford has got ahead again of Angie Nicholas in Atatu. 30, though, after specials came in. Just 30 votes. Honestly, anyone ever says your vote doesn't count, have a look at some of these. Um, Rachel Boyack ahead again in Nelson by 54. Uh, Tracy, oh no, I've got this back. To, what, what have we got here? Oh, this is, this, this is sorry, this well, was I mean, prior. The, this was prior. I've got the wrong um, data. This obviously, was, Tamaki Makoto is the big one because it's a four vote, a four vote majority. So every single vote counts. And yeah. this one, unlike every other potential for a recount, you know, potentially Mount Albert, potentially Nelson, uh, potentially Teatatu. But the Tamaki Makoto could be material. Well, not really, in the sense that if. That switched back to Penny Hanari from Labour. That would reduce the overhang. But on the numbers, even that wouldn't be material for the makeup of the future yeah. government. The National yeah. Act pairing would still need yeah. uh, New Zealand first, even if that went the other way. But for things like Mount Albert with Melissa Lee only trailing by 20 votes, there's no real advantage from pushing for a recount and maybe switching the seat again. You know, all that would do is she, reduce the national. About that. <laughs> yeah, she might. I mean, yeah. all it would do is reduce yeah. a national yeah. list MP. Yeah. It's more that prestige and that sort of money that would come from winning mm-hmm. such a, a key Labour seat. So apologies for that error. I have the initial, initial numbers there, but um, they, there are several that are still pretty tight. Uh, Liam, who do you expect will go for a recount? 
Well, I think, um, you know, anyone who thinks that they uh, will be within Kui will, will have a crack at it. Like, Melissa Lee is a good example. But I, I just have to echo what, what Gareth says. It's mostly interesting for the people involved rather than for the makeup of the party as a whole, um, parliament as a whole, I should say. Um, you know, it's um, it's, a, it's a big thing for uh, to, to win uh, Labour seats um, if, you're, if you're national. Um, and you know it sort of rubs the um, rubs the opposition's face in it a little bit. It's um, you know it's a uh, builds on a narrative of strength, but you know it, in terms of the overall impact, um, um, you know it's uh, it's it's a bit of a nothing. Yeah, uh, they will go by the sounds of it. Some of them anyway, and possibly as you pointed out, particularly uh, Pini Henere. Uh, okay, so. Let's look then at the relative bargaining power, uh, such as it is, for ACT and New Zealand First. There would have been a temptation, perhaps, to try and get by with the slimmest of majorities, or maybe have had a lesser kind of agreement with New Zealand First than may now need to be the case. What are you seeing as the possible orchestrations that could come out of this, Gareth? Well, presumably, you know, Reflecting as a former politician, you have a small group of the leader, the chief of staff, and maybe some senior MPs involved in the negotiation. Everyone else is sitting in a room sort of waiting to find out. So these small groups of people, presumably over the last three weeks, have been working on a few scenarios, different arrangements or permutations of coalitions and confidence and supply. It's clear that New Zealand First has gone from insurance to a key partner in the makeup of the government. So they're probably now getting down to the detail, exactly which ministries are we talking about, which ministerial positions, which policies are in and out. And what we're seeing from the language coming out, frankly, from all the parties is a sort of, we're all doing this in good faith. There will be some trade-offs. There will be some compromises. No one's sort of grandstanding, throwing toys out of the cot at this stage. But remember, these are three fundamentally different parties. You've got sort of the centrist, more poll-driven approach of national, a sort of radical change uh, position from ACT and the sort of nostalgic nationalism with a little bit of um, quackery thrown in in this election with New Zealand first. So trying to square that circle from the three parties will take some effort. Where do you see uh, the structure heading, Liam, and options for the structure of this? Will all, uh, or will both the smaller parties want ministerial seats? As we said, are we looking at similar coalition deals in their nature? I think that it's going to be a fairly um, comprehensive, kind of coherent deal between the three parties. And that's that's in National's interest uh, as much as anything else. So sort of a nightmare scenario for National in some ways would be to make a deal with New Zealand first. And I think, you know, that's the... Even, even It's interesting because normally New Zealand first is the second strongest party in terms of uh, numerically, in terms of a coalition. Uh, this, is, uh, this is, I think, the first time that they'd sort of be, be the third banana. But, no, you know, I argue the they're a bigger third banana than the second one, I imagine, though, <laughs> Liam. Well, yeah, that's right. Well, well, Winston Peters has got that. He's you've got to manage his uh, his status and his ego and his um, you know the way that he sees things. And so, you know, the, the nightmare for Nat, for National in some ways would be to have to have Winston Peters as the sort of the deputy, and then have act outside, you know, in a looser arrangement because not having. Act with ministers, not having being in government without Act sort of really being bound to the government, does leave a lot of space for, NAC, for Act to continue to eat into the National Party vote, especially on rural matters. And so, you know, I think that you know, Christopher Luxon will be wanting to bind all three parties together as closely as possible. 
Well, already we are seeing um, things in reverse. Uh, David Seymour's most recent comments are that, yes, they could sit around a cabinet table with New Zealand first, uh, slightly different tone than before the election, but that's the way things work. What of what um, key roles each might want? A lot of talk again about whether Winston Peters might want to be foreign minister again, and some saying it might be a temptation to (laughs) enable him to spend plenty of time uh, overseas. But what do you see as some of the areas where there may be a, a, a real hunger for positions and that may be problematic, Gareth? Well, can I just touch on what Liam just uh, posited, which I think is really interesting. And reflecting on history again in this scenario, remember there's been a lot of bad blood between ACT and New Zealand First this election. We saw David Seymour call him the most untrustworthy person in politics, put up big billboards in Wellington, you know, attacking him, said he wouldn't sit around the cabinet table. Now he's having to backtrack and swallow some of those words. But it reminds me of 2005 when Rod Donald was saying some pretty stark things about Winston Peters. And despite Helen Clark and Jeanette for Times, Rod Donald, you know, positioning a, a Labour Green government back then, um, researching the book about Jeanette for Times, I discovered this fantastic uh, history, uh, verbal history where basically Winston Peters locked the Greens locked out of any ministerial position. He absolutely locked and them And said out. the Suzuki. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's exactly what he is in the position to do again, 20 years on to David Seymour. Yeah. What's David Seymour's you know, options in that scenario? You know, maybe he could become a government spokesperson like Winston made the Greens back then. So... We we see now uh, David Seymour, you know, being a lot more conciliatory in his language. But in terms of those positions, you know, it's a it's a mixed bag for Winston Peters with foreign affairs. Clearly, he's got a lot of love for it, a lot of experience. It is a time of great geopolitical challenges. However, it hasn't really played out electorally for the New Zealand First Party. It didn't succeed in 2005 when he was the foreign minister, booted out of parliament. You know, if he wants to cement his legacy and actually get some runs on the board and build his vote when it leaves him, maybe he needs to think of a domestic role. One other observation about 2005, and I had conversations with senior people, shall we say, uh, in the Green Party at the time this was unfolding, I'm wondering how bothered... Helen Clark was about the Greens being locked out. That is another component here. Whereas what will uh, the, the national leader's position be, Liam, on wanting act in and, um, you know, someone's either going to make the call to go to another election or they need to sort it out, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no real choice, right? And uh, And I think that... Look, I, I think just to touch on what sort of what Gareth has said, um, I you know I think that the things are a little bit different this time around. I think um, the um, the Christopher Luxon is really really um, sort of vulnerable to act a little bit in terms of act taking pushing national where national want to go, uh, and I I just know from my own practice as a you know lawyer for the rural community just what the inroads the Act made against New Zealand, uh, against the, the National Party were this, this time around. And that, that seriously hurts National. Um, not so much even in the numbers, but just the fact that the National Party has always been the farm vote. And I think that there'll be a lot of contention around, for example, who gets to be the, the Minister of Agriculture. Is that going to be Andrew Hoggart? Or is it going to be, be a National Party a sort of prestige position where the National Party holds? Look, I think that something that the National Party is also going to be really, really careful about um, is that, uh, you know, Winston Peters, the temptation is to think that he's all about the baubles of office and that, you know, you can fob him off by, um, you know, giving him um, fancy job titles and, and graft. But the, um, that's the mistake the National Party made in 2017. 
Um, Mr. Peters is a serious, like, he, you know, he's, he's a clown, yes, but he's also... In your opinion. He, he actually does, in my opinion, my opinion is all I have to offer, but he is, he is, he is, he is sort of a clownish kind of person, but he does also, he's also serious. He, he believes in stuff. And I think that the National Party really insulted Winston in 2017 by just counting on this idea that you could, you could just buy his loyalty with, with baubles. And I think that if they make the same mistake again, they'll really suffer. Um, and I think that Luxon has been careful to try and be sort of different and respectful to Peters because he's aware of that danger. And I think both New Zealand First and ACT are having their eyes on the long game. New Zealand First clearly, Winston clearly wants this party to survive. And that's what His mm-hmm. legacy, that's right. And ACT, you know, sees potentially a multi-term government with National, you know, and potentially growing their leverage, as Liam's pointed out, eating into that rural vote. Maybe both parties will be looking a little bit at the Greens' uh, example over the last two terms with a looser arrangement with the government, still having ministers but outside a cabinet, able to deliver on a few big portfolios. But that ability to almost have your cake and eat it too, which is be part of the government actually delivering for your communities, while also having that differentiation and being able to criticise the government where possible. That worked for the Greens to avoid the curse of the minor party. Both parties could Mm -hmm. be looking at that, a sort of effectively a minority national government, cabinet, yet with the two support parties with some ministerial roles. Perhaps, you know, Peter's with racing uh, maybe forestry, maybe um, Shane Jones with regional economic development again, and David Seymour and some sort of minister for regulatory affairs. Okay. Uh, do we think they get there this week? Uh, we're still hearing different things. We've we finally had Winston Peters saying, yes, he's prepared to talk directly with ACT. Uh, we know a lot of this is, is happening uh, at uh, arm's length, and it will have picked up pace no end over the weekend, but... Well, in, Lux, in Christopher Luxon's corporate speech, there is a sort of KPI milestone looming, which is the APEC conference in San Francisco on the weekend. So in an ideal scenario, the new prime minister or foreign minister would be jet-setting uh, across the Pacific. But these things will, t- will take yeah. as long as they take. Liam? If you're, if you're holding a sweepstakes, um, my bet is for next Thursday, around about next Thursday. It's not the one coming, but the one after that. Thursday week. And it's just a history thing. Yeah, Thursday week. And, and look... To his credit, Winston Peters, uh, I think a while ago, made a really good observation, which was that everything that you hammer out in that negotiating table, everything that's committed to writing, that's what happens. The, the stuff that arises afterwards, stuff that's deferred, the the, uh, the the response of stuff, that's you've got to go through all the machinery of government, you've got to go through the bureaucracy, you've got to... Um, that never happens. And so Winston Peters has never made any apology about taking the time to hammering out in some detail exactly what he wants. And he's right to do that if his goal is to get as much of his agenda enacted as possible. So I think I, I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be uh, betting on anything this week. Okay, and the other unre- uh, you know, unresolved issue is the, the state of the books and what happens to uh, tax cut policies, and particularly if the foreign buyers... Supposed seven hundred and fifty million. Um, others say two hundred and twenty million disappear. Billion a uh, million. Beg your pardon. Disappear out of the government's budget. So that may be something that needs thrashing out um, with some detail as well. The Port Waikato by-election race is underway. As we've said, that that whole situation adds an extra seat to it, it, it is by the means of overhang, but probably doesn't upset proportionality if National wins it. Although New Zealand First is putting its hand up and. Uh, putting a, a strong candidate up, actually. More on her in a moment. Party leadership and uh, Labour, of course, licking its wounds. Uh, and 
does have to confront in the near future an immediate decision about its leader, Gareth. Yeah, that's right. So under Labour's you know rules, which changed a couple of years ago, they do have to confirm the leader within three months of the election. We could see a vote as early as tomorrow, you know, or potentially at next week's caucus meeting. Chris Hipkins kind of has two pathways here. One sort of the the interim leader, the night watchman, getting them through this next period and setting up uh, a sort of more disciplined, stable party for a a new leader to come through. Or he could be looking at taking the party through to the next election, which with the potential lack of alternatives in the caucus, uh, potentially a desire not to go through that sort of electoral college, travelling roadshow around the country that we saw in previous um, elections. The rules do greatly benefit the incumbent. You need a challenger, needs 10% 10% of the caucus to even get on the ballot and then they need to win 66% of the caucus vote to avoid that electoral college travelling roadshow scenario so it looks like Hipkins probably will be confirmed in the short term but th- this is a fundamental question for the party was Chris Hipkins the fall guy, you know, did he get a, um, a hospital pass, did his best in very trying circumstances was the loss down to the challenge of incumbents all around the world, or was it more fundamental, was the problems, the captain calls that he made, you know, the lack of action on a wealth tax, the bonfire that nothing was built on top of it, this is this fundamental question that Labour is grappling with but it's grappling internally, we aren't seeing the recriminations happen externally we're not seeing much introspection or even explanations for what's happened with what was frankly a disastrous campaign campaign. So it's a big choice facing the party, but it's likely, and, and if I was, you know, like Liam wagering, I think Hipkins will probably stay on. Liam? Yep, I, I would agree. Um, the The temptation is always to uh, to rush into judgments uh, and to, uh, to blame the election loss on the things that you wanted to blame it on anyway, regardless of whether it's true or not. But there's really no percentage for Labour in changing its leader for a while. Now, I don't think that Hipkins is going to lead um, Labour into the next election, and he certainly won't uh, be Prime Minister again. I, I think it's just too hard, too much of a stretch to be the Prime Minister, to lose a, 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 an election and, and, and be thumped, frankly, and then in, in six years or so say, look, I'm, I'm the candidate for change, you know, especially after being you know, an MP for so long. But there is no short-term advantage to Labour changing now. Political parties should never change leaders until they know that the replacement is going to at least uh, earn them as many votes plus one more. And there is just no obvious choice yet. Now, there are some very talented people in the Labour Party um, uh, caucus. You know, I think Carmel Cipione is someone who's really grown in office, and I think she could be an outstanding future leader of the Labour Party. But they'd be fools to do it within the next year or so. I, I would, they have to wait until they make a deliberate choice. Yes, it's always a question as to whether personal ambitions present themselves in advance. But as Gareth has pointed out, the complexity of how they choose their leader makes that uh, less likely in the short term. The other question, of course, is how long someone like Grant Robertson is going to stick around uh, because they do, you know, the rebuilding of a party in opposition is one of the toughest political tasks there are. But at the same time, there are people you clearly question how much longer uh, they are likely to stay in, in politics. Okay, speaking of leadership, we've mentioned Labour's situation. You wanted to comment on New Zealand first as well. We were talking about legacies, and sooner or later it will be time to have a new leader of that party, clearly not in the, uh, in, in the, in the near future. Uh, but you, you build leadership and leader contenders over a period of years if you want to get it right. What are you seeing happening in New Zealand first, Liam? 
Um, I think that eventually, one day, Winston Peters will um, step down from politics. I mean, you know, prob- probably not for a long time yet. He doesn't really seem to have any um, desire to slow down. That is, you know, as much as he might talk about it, there's there's no sort of moves in that direction. Um, there are potential successors. There's um, Shane Jones, um, and and the new one is Casey Casey Casello. But I really, my own view is this is, is that the New Zealand First Party is Mr. Peters, and Mr. Peters is the New Zealand First Party. He has got name recognition like you wouldn't believe. And that name recognition is so important for a party like that that I just don't think that the party can survive without him. You know, it's 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 that dominated. Mr. Peters is the man who holds together all the internal contradictions of that party, the different factions. The thing that unite them is that they are, they back Winston's judgment. No Winston, no New Zealand First, in my view. Yes, making predictions about Mr Peters has proved to be um, premature in many instances, but it is an interesting observation. Uh, As we said, the standout for this election is the extraordinary strength of so many of the smaller parties. On that note, 2.2 I have has been the party vote for uh, top, which is not, uh, you know, that 2 to 3% range... um, Gareth, it's, it, it, it is not a poor showing by any means uh, in our very sort of tough system. Gosh, for many years we were looking at the Greens struggling to get over the 5% threshold. Yeah, It, and, it uh, takes time and it, and it takes a lot of hard work. But surely this must be the end of the, the, the top story. They've tried multiple times. Even with such a high profile and credible candidate as Raf Manji, they haven't been able to get through. I think it is a bit of an indictment of our current electoral system that no party has been able to enter Parliament in MMP without an existing MP. Not a single one. And I think that sense of vitality and renewal isn't necessarily a good thing going forward. However, you don't want to take it to the absolute extreme. We saw Andrew Geddes publish some results (laughs) of what the results would look like if we had no threshold at all and there was a plethora of smaller parties. But it's interesting thinking about the Greens and and leadership as well because, you know, James Shaw has been leader for an awful long time. He's no longer the climate minister. He has said all along his mission in politics was to get the Greens into government and safely out the other side. He can quite proudly say mission accomplished at this stage. He's had a bit of grief from the membership, so I wouldn't be surprised if that party was looking at a bit of a leadership transition in the coming years as well. Uh, in the foreseeable future, will, you know, will he be tempted, will he be thinking right now about whether he wants to continue? I, I think he would be. You know, He's achieved a, a lot in six years as the, the climate minister. It's pretty hard to go back to just being an opposition so MP. So where would you go if he were to exit? Well, the Greens have a history of sort of a leadership transition where one leader, this is the benefit of the co-leadership model, you don't have this jarring uh, disruption. One leader stays for a while, sort of helps the next leader grow and then that transition starts anew. So I anticipate Marta Davidson, who's got huge support internally, uh, would stay. Uh, but for James Shaw, who faces an annual election, as every Green leader does, that will focus the mind if he wants to be committed to standing another election. You've got candidates like Chloe Swarbrick, who's you know getting through on those preferred prime you minister don't have ratings. Don't gender split anymore in the, in the no, that's right. So it could yeah. be two two female leaders. Mm-hmm. One must be Maori uh, under under the rules. So you've got Julianne Genta, who's now won a seat as well, has also um, contested the electorate. Uh, sorry, the leadership election previously, and would be quite a contrast to Marama Davidson as well. So I think you've got two very high-quality you know, young women there as well. Thank you very much, Gareth Hughes. Thank you, Liam, here. And thank you, Nicola, for headlines.